Today, Rick is preaching from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11, which says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it, have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thanks, Josh. If you, won't, if you don't mind, uh, pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to each of us to gather here and study your word, Father, I pr- and, and to worship you and to just, just be together, Father. I thank you for what you've orchestrated to allow these people to be in this room this morning, Father. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would see your hand um, providentially guiding us to be here in this time and this place to engage with these people and this message that you've given to us. God, I thank you so much for Jesus who is the door to you, who is the good shepherd. Lord, I pray that our our hearts and our lives and our minds and everything that we think and say and do would reflect the, the beauty and glory and majesty of your son, Jesus. God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by uh, this morning and overwhelmed by this opportunity you've given to us to, to worship you, Father. God, thank you for these souls from Utah that are here with us this morning, God. Thank you for, for saving them. Thank you for sending them to come and serve in our city. Um, God, thank you for them being here today to, to gather together as the global church to proclaim the sovereignty and power and beauty of your son, Jesus. God, I, I pray that Christ and your gospel would be the center of all that we do here this morning. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So good morning, guys. How's it going? That is, uh, that's, that's a really good response. That's not a typical, usually like three people mutter something back at me. Um, so I'm glad you guys are here. This is, this is really cool. Um, uh, and I'm excited about what God has to, to share with us today. And, and God has really been speaking some pretty important and deep things in my life this week as I've prepared and then just life happening around. Um, I believe that God is sovereign and I believe that he has orchestrated these people to be in this place to hear this message this morning. And, uh, and I think that he's been sovereignly shaping and, and speaking to me and bringing my heart to a place of worship this morning. Um, so... Um, this is our, our second week in a series called Conversations with Jesus, and um, the biggest theme that I want us to see, uh, for those of you who will be here for the rest of the series, and for those of you who will just be here today, I want us to see this idea that try to understand that everything that Jesus says in all of Scripture is, is in part to reveal his character and his nature to us. And today we see that um, in, in this, 
this story, this conversation that he has. Most of our conversations will be like a one-on-one, but this is with a larger group of people. Um, but one of the things that, that the, the part of his character and nature that he reveals most poignantly in, in this conversation is that he cares for you and he loves you. Um, so you kind of expect to come to church and hear that Jesus loves you. Um, and when, when somebody with a microphone in a church in front of you says that Jesus loves you, you can kind of just say, okay, like I know. But I, wanna, I want you to like let that hit a little bit. Jesus loves you. The king of the universe loves you. Isn't that incredible? And not just that, but the king of the universe has orchestrated events to happen in your life so that he might say to you, I love you. Um, So in the audience that Jesus is talking to in John 10 are these people. There's, There's two groups of people. And within these two groups of people, there are two groups of people. Follow that? So there's one group of people called the Pharisees. And if you know much about the Pharisees, they're these ultra-religious people that um, want to tell people, this is the way to get to God. You need to act right. And, and that's, kind of, that's the truth about most of the Pharisees. But in this group that John's talking to in John, or that Jesus is talking to in John 10, there's more than just those ultra-religious people that try to put weights on people to find God. There's also some like probably righteous Pharisees that, that really are trying to understand who Jesus is and are honestly dealing with, with him. And then the second group of people, of which there are two subsets, are, are people in the audience that are Jews in the audience that have um, come to see Jesus because either there's one group that comes to see him because he's done some really cool things and they're fascinated with, like, if you guys are the guys from Utah are going to go down and see the arch today. Why? Because it's like, it's, it's cool. It's something different. It's something new. It's something you've never seen before. You're going to do that. Some of these people that are here to see Jesus are here because it's cool and it's different. And it's weird and it's odd. I've never seen him before. And there are others that are part of that Jewish group that are honestly, they, they want to see and hear and allow Jesus to speak to their lives. And I think the irony about that is that when we find ourselves in a church, by, by virtue of us coming to church today, by virtue of you guys coming to a mission trip, by virtue of our people deciding to wake up and come to church this morning, there is a hint of religiousness to us. And so we can relate to all of these people that are here in this group because there's probably some that are here that are on this mission trip or that have come to this church this morning because they just want to see what's happening. And there's others that are here that, that really want to understand and allow Jesus to speak to their lives. And so I believe that we can find ourselves in this audience. And as a result, we can kind of insert ourselves into the audience and allow Jesus here to not just speak to these people thousands of years ago, but speak to us today. Make sense? So let's get in verse by verse to, to what Jesus has said. Um, verse 7. So Jesus, again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And in John, in 
In the book of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. I am fill in the blank. He makes seven of them. And two of them are here in these uh, short verses. And the first one here is, I am the door. I'm the door of the sheep. Uh, so Jesus is, is combating false religion here. Um, there is uh, John 14, 6, a very famous, famous verse. Um, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. While Jesus is, is combating uh, pluralistic culture, and we find ourselves in a very pluralistic culture today. And, and here in this verse, he's fighting this pluralistic culture in that there's nothing that can get you to Jesus. I'm the door. I'm the only way to get in the door. And here, here's the thing. I'm the only way to get to God. He is the only door. Uh, here's the thing that I, I want to speak to us about this. Our, because we're in a church, we have this opportunity to slip into something that, that I call self-religion, like the religion of self. We're relying upon ourselves to get to God. These are what the Pharisees did, and these are what good little church kids tend to do, is rely upon ourselves. Um, every year, I said I was excited you guys are here. One of the Every year I get to go to uh, a training for what, what people in Missouri call summer missionaries. And it basically is a room full of college-age Christian church kids. And I get called in every year to get to, to go and speak to them. And it's really exciting because these are, these are good little church kids. And I get to yell at them a little bit. So that's kind of why I'm excited today. Because I'm assuming, Jason, help me out, these are good little church kids. Sort of. Sure. Sure. Okay, great. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. And, and, and the tendency is, and I can say this because I, I am and was and will continue to be a good little church kid. Um, and I have this tendency, even, even now as a 48-year-old pastor to, who proclaims the gospel on a weekly basis on Sunday mornings, to forget the gospel and rely upon myself. And like we live in a culture where we're, we just, we're taught, you're, there's an onslaught against you that teaches you in every way, even outside of religion, to rely upon yourself. And Jesus is combating that you are not a door to God. I want to press in on that. Stop trying to be something that you're not and you can never be. Jesus is the door. There's nothing else that will get you to God. Christ alone, good deeds, hard work, right behavior, mission trips, none of it is of any value to God. Isaiah says that your righteousness, your deeds are filthy rags. Paul says that your righteousness, your deeds are rubbish. And if you really study that Greek word a little deeper, it's a word that I can't say right here. And Paul used it in Scripture. It's dog excrement. Literally, that's what he's saying. Your righteousness, your deeds, everything that you think that might cause God to smile at you is dog excrement. Because... It's already been done. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So stop trying so hard. Breathe, relax, know that Jesus loves you and is fully and utterly provided for you. And more than that, I think for us in this circle, we can, and this is where I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to push you a little bit. This is where I'm going to yell at you for being good little church kids. Because we're good little church kids and we understand that. And we can apply that to us. Many times and oftentimes, we, we don't apply that to somebody else. For my sake, he made him who knew no sin become sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. But I think that we look down on people that are different than us, that look different than us, that live different than us, that even think different than us. But the only reason we have any position, any standing of any kind with a holy God is because of Jesus Christ. And as such... Every relationship that we have has to be viewed through that lens. But Jesus keeps pushing on this idea of false teachers. And here's the cool thing about Jesus, another character trait revealed about him. The false teachers that Jesus is railing on here are in the audience. That's really, that's, that's very cool to me. He keeps pushing in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not listen to them. Um, he's alluding to false teachers here. Um, and this is, this is interesting. Jason and I were talking before the service this morning, and you guys are from Utah, and there's like Mormons everywhere, right? And there's, so I, I didn't, I did, when I was writing this sermon, I had no idea that there was going to be a church from Utah showing up here today. Um, and, and what this is pressing on me and, and my faith and my world and my culture and my community is that there are a lot of false teachers that are teaching a lot of false things about false religion. All the stuff that I've been saying so far is really attacking people that want to say that there's something aside from Jesus Christ that allows you to get to heaven. It allows you to have a relationship with God. It allows you to be engaged with the Holy God. And you were created to be in relationship with God. There's no other purpose for your creation than to be in relationship with God. And more than that, there's no other joy or hope or life that's given to you that's any better or, or that has any value apart from your relationship with God. So... There are false teachers and have been false teachers since the time of Jesus and continue to be false teachers here. And all the stuff that, that, that I was learning about what it looks like to be a Christian church in Utah this morning in this conversation, all those same lessons are applicable to us here because the tendency of the human heart, John Calvin said this, the, the, ten, the human heart is an idol factory and the, and the tendency of the human heart is to create idols that we can worship. And that for us has always been, since the beginning of time, the biggest idol that we worship is self. And, and that's the heart of false religion. And it's what Jesus is coming to tear down. 
So here's the exciting part, is that we, God has orchestrated events, one, for you to get to come here and, and hear that Jesus loves you, but also orchestrated events to get to, for you to come here and hear that Jesus is the only thing. And you and I have this tendency to hear that and see that and believe that and then go out and, and act differently. So, um, do you guys know a guy named Shy Lynn? You ever heard that name before? Anybody? Got one? Nice. Um, Shy Lynn is a Christian rapper. If anybody likes to listen to rap, um, Shy Lynn is fantastic. And he's not only, he's, he's good artistically, but he's also like got some really incredible theology in his, in his art. Um, so I, I want to quote a song from him and I'll try and uh, just read it because I'm awfully white and um, this is a really good song. I'm going to want to like get into the flow. Um, yeah, no, you, you don't want that and I don't want that and, and, and nobody wants that. Uh, so Shylan, this song called False Teachers, and it'll be on the screen as I read it. Teaching that camels can squeeze through the eye of a needle, ungodly and wicked, ask yourself how they cannot be convicted. I'm, 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 not, I'm trying to not flow here. <laughs> Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. False teachers are everywhere, you guys. And they're going to sound a lot like the gospel. Enough like the gospel where you can be confused. Enough like the gospel where you can be confused and buy into what they're speaking. But if they're speaking anything other than Christ alone, they're lying to you. This teaching can't be believed without a cost. The lie is you can have a crown without a cross. I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shocked how they're fleecing the flock. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what false teachers have in common? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They dress it up and call it Christian. This is a great line. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that's the message forever I yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. False teachers feed themselves and not the sheep. Jesus says, listen here, Jesus says, I use what I have to benefit you. False teachers say, I use what you have to benefit me. I'm going to tie that up at the end. I use what I have to benefit you is what Jesus says. False teachers say I use what you have to benefit me. Jesus is our life. He's our example. He's the good shepherd. He reiterates his first I am statement in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. First thing that shepherds do is shepherds provide. Um, this word pasture, the context of this word is, is a big word. Have you ever had a really long day? Have you ever had a really long day where maybe like you were supposed to get on a plane and that plane you had to take a different flight and fly to a different city and supposed to get into a, a, a new city? Like, like 
hours later and just exhausted and you just lay your head down. Has anybody ever done that before? Yeah. Um, when you find, and after a long day where you're hungry and you're tired and you're just exhausted and you just don't feel like you have a place to be, and finally you get to the place where you're supposed to be and just exhale, that's what this word pasture means. So a shepherd's job was to lead his sheep to pasture, to lead them to the place to to eat, to sleep, to rest. And I said sleep and rest, those are different things. Sleep is you close your eyes and fall asleep which some of you really want to do right now. And the other piece is rest, where you just, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to stress over. This, that's what rest is in this context. So pasture is a place to rest. It's a place to sleep. It's a place to eat. It's a place to be. And it's a place to live. And Jesus proclaims here that he is your good shepherd. He is the one who's taking you to the pasture. And again, you have no ability, you have no ability to find that pasture for yourself. But the good news is, you don't have to. Do you have a place of rest? Do you have a place like, is like your place to go when life is crazy, when, when stuff is hitting the fan in your world and you want to just be alone? Do you have that place? Maybe even think about that place, especially for those who are like introverted. You probably have, probably know exactly what I'm talking about, a, a place that's your spot. Next time you're in that spot, I want you to hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd and I want to show you pasture and then exhale and then inhale your savior. Verse 10 is the second one where shepherds protect. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, part of Jesus' audience here is the thieves and robbers that he's talking about. He's talking about those that have come to steal and kill and destroy. Let me say this. Jesus is not here to play with you if you're here to mess with him or lead his sheep astray. If that's the role that's happening in your world and in your life by you or to you, understand that Jesus has very swift and firm and strong consequences for those that try to steal, kill, and destroy from his sheep. Elsewhere in Scripture it says Jesus is, is, is a, shoots the wolves. That's the, the life of Christ. This is a stern warning that he gives. He is boldly talking to the predators at this moment. This is your Jesus, not afraid to protect you. Verse 11, the last one, shepherd's love. I am the good shepherd, his second I am statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said that soon before he would die on the cross. Greater love has no one than he would lay down his life for his friends. 
There's no greater call in your life than to lay down your life for your friends. Do you hear me? There's no greater call for your life than to lay down your life for your friends. Here's the, here's the thing. Um, I was in youth ministry before, and I've led lots of mission trips and mission trips to Wisconsin and Arkansas and even several to Mexico where it's really great because you get out of your life and you go to a different place and it's really easy to give your life away in a different place because that's why you're here. It's harder to go back home and to give your life away because you've got the distractions of your life. For those of you North Church people, it's hard for us to give our lives away when the stress of our lives are pressing in on us and we got to do stuff, we got to get ours, we got to do stuff for ourselves. It's hard. But I'm telling you, the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy of your life will always be to give your life away. Philippians 2, Paul is talking to the church about all of Philippians is about you getting your joy in the midst of hard times. And this is an incredible passage of scripture from Paul where he writes this, Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility, do you know that is the root word for this, a longer word called humiliation? Does anybody want to be, be humiliated? The... I just had my 30-year high school reunion. Wow, that guy's old. I just had my 30-year high school reunion last weekend, and I remembered this thing that happened in my school. I was a freshman. Um, I had torn ligaments in my ankle, and uh, I was on crutches. And my, you know how most crutches have that little rubber thing on the bottom, right? These were wooden crutches, and they didn't have the little rubber thing. The Walgreens was out of the little rubber thing, so I'm just walking around my high school on tile floors with wooden pieces. So I'm slipping all the time. So here's what happens. I'm walking down the stairs and I'm walking next to some friends and I'm carrying books, which is ridiculous, by the way. If you ever have friends that are on crutches, carry their books. I'm carrying my own books on these crutches that have wooden tips. And I, I start to slip on these stairs into the last second. I catch myself, but then I don't catch myself. And so I thought, I was, I was tense, and then I relaxed because I thought I was going to catch myself, and then I was done. And so I flailed, and my books fly into the air, and because I flail, I fling one crutch, like, up the stairs, and the other crutch, like, hits the stairs, and you ever been skiing, and, and like, the little things don't dig into the ground, and your ski, like, flips up, and they, like, go all the way down the mountain? You ever, anybody, any skiers ever done that? That's what happened to, to my other crutch. So I've got one crutch at the top of the stairs and the other crutch is at the bottom of the stairs and my books are everywhere and everyone is laughing. I was humiliated. What, is, what does that look like to be humiliated? Like the worst thing can ever happen to a high school student is to fall down, am I right? So here I am humiliated. Everyone is laughing at me. I am less than everyone. That's this word. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but from the position of realizing that you are less than everyone. Count others more significant than yourself. 
Do you see that? Like this is the call for your life. Your greatest pleasure and greatest joy is found in you humiliating yourself. Verse 4, let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also the entrance, interest of yourself. Have this mind. That word mind is mostly translated as attitude, and it's the Greek word that means the thing which paints your response to external circumstances. When you're in a good mood and bad things happen to you, you can roll with it, right? Because you have a good attitude. When you're in a bad mood and bad things happen to you, it makes it even worse because your attitude is what predicts your response to external circumstances, right? You connect with that? Have this attitude, have this thing among yourselves, the state of mind that predicts your response to external circumstances, which is yours. It's a possession that you own because of what Christ had. You can have this mind, this attitude, who though is in a form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being born in likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, it's our humiliated word, by becoming obedient to the, to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, I say that after I said shepherds provide, shepherds protect, and shepherds love. This is who Jesus is and what he's done for you. This is, these are the things that you own and you have. You have the protection of Christ. You have the provision of Christ. And you have the love of Christ. If we add that to what Paul has just called us to in Philippians 2, to be who Jesus was to you in your world, humiliate yourself so that you might provide, protect, and love. Like that's your call. If you really understand the gospel and the gospel has really pressed itself into the depth of you, you have as a possession the attitude of Christ. Because of the gospel, you are not just saved, but you are also sent. And I don't pretend to think that just because you guys got on an airplane and flew to St. Louis that you fully understand what it means to be sent. And what it means to be sent is not just that you would go someplace else. What it means to be sent is that you would go wherever you are and be who Jesus has been to you. There's, there's nothing. Your joy is at stake. The joy of others is at stake. Are we going to be a false teacher who uses others to get for ourselves? Or are we going to be like Christ, who uses what Christ has done to us to give of ourselves? This is the command of our lives. This is the command of the gospel. The gospel is for us to be saved, but it's also for us to be sent. Um, let's pray, and I'm going to be done yelling at you. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for this time that you've given to us to be together. God, I pray, Lord, that the, the impact of your son Jesus would go beyond our own hearts, Father, and that we would willingly humiliate ourselves. We would willingly give of ourselves to serve those around us 
as Christ has served us. And Father, I pray that of any notion of self-reliance, any notion of, of false teaching, God, would you expose it? And God, would you rip it out of us painfully if necessary? God, and I pray that as we walk about our days, as we find our places of rest, as we see you at work in our world, Father, would you allow us to acknowledge you? Would would you allow us to, to worship you in that acknowledgement, Father? And then would that bubble up and bubble out of us into engaging our world with the gospel of your son, Jesus? God, there's nothing bigger, there's nothing better, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more valuable in this world than understanding who you are and what you've done and letting go of trying and trusting and resting in your perfect provision, your perfect protection, and your perfect love. God, help us to see you as the good shepherd. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his wonderful and perfect name that I pray. Amen.